What is going on, OWS fam, YouTube fam, DFS fam? Welcome back to another edition of the DFS Lab. I am your host, JM to Win from OneWeekSeason.com. Joining me in a moment will be Keegan, KTM128. We will be building a roster, taking an early look at this week six slate. Quick announcement before we get started. We're scrapping the Wednesday show moving forward, just some scheduling conflicts on my end. So we're going to start doing uh, Thursday, Saturday for DraftKings with Keegan and me, and then still the Friday show with Mike for FanDuel. So with that, let's get started. One week season. Keegan, how you doing, man? Doing great. Doing so, good. Before we got in there, you said you didn't get a chance to play last weekend. I told you you probably weren't weren't missing much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it, it always sucks, though, you know, not being able to play it. But uh, I was, like, scrambling the, the morning of to punch everything into the optimizer and see if I could get that 150. I have yet to do a 150 max entry. Yeah, so it was, uh, uh, such, I, I mean, really, in my opinion, sharp on your end to not play because you said, you know, basically Saturday night got crunched and then Sunday morning you woke up and tried to put everything together and you were like, uh, I don't like basically like, I don't know that this is as sharp as I need it to be. And so, you know, at the time crunch, so you just stopped. I think a lot of people would still continue to pursue that play because they want some action in, in play. And obviously there's that outside shot that things come together, but it's probably negative expected value to throw something in at the last minute and not have the full time to think through it. So uh, over time, that's a, uh, that's a decision that saves you money. I, I guess I can't say makes you money because you didn't play, but uh, a yeah. decision that saves you money, which is the same as making money if you, if you would have lost money. So um, yeah, I think that's a sharp call on your end. You uh, still able to, still, uh, still able to get some parlays in play this last week. Yeah, man. I uh, was very close to winning uh, quite a few of them. Half of them was because uh, Anthony Richardson. I was very like ah. long on him hitting that passing yards, and he was definitely on his way for it. Like hit 98 in the first like quarter and a half. So, and then he got injured, and I was like, man, that sucks. <laughs> on one of them, I had like a just a two leg with Justin Fields who would hit. I think it was like that Thursday night, and then nice. uh, and then Anthony Richardson was all I needed. And it would pay like 250, and I was like. Yeah, I uh, I was thinking about that the other day where where there's some there were some I've had a few this season like Mike Williams over four and a half catches against Minnesota where he did get hurt in that game but got the catches first. Uh, I had one I forget who it was but I had somebody last week who was anchoring a lot of my my plays and then I had one where it was like Kenneth Walker over 12 and a half carries like a week or two ago like at the end of the first quarter of their game an underdog had him at like 12 and a half carries for the rest of the game because he had only like one or two carries to that point. And it was like, Oh, but the, like Seattle had a lead and <laughs> Kenneth Walker wasn't hurt. And, um, and so you get those that are like really obvious and they hit, but then you always think like, what's going to suck is if one of these guys gets hurt, you know, like the really obvious guy yeah. gets hurt and you don't get that anchor where you're like, Oh, this is like, obviously none of them are going to hit 100% of the time, but you can find those bets. It's like 65, 75% of the time they're going to hit. And so you put those on a bunch of your parlays and then the guy gets hurt. It's like all of those are lost. So, yeah. yeah those like, are the breaks um, of it. And the hardest thing then is just the, like the mental side to bounce back and not let that um, like to not try to chase those losses. Right. Like to not, yeah. not be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I should have made this amount of money last week. So now I'm going to up my buy-ins and whatever else, but just like keep hunting for those edges. Um, 
So yeah, those are the uh, the breaks of, of of this of this world. You know, it's funny that made me think. I was in Nashville one time for a, a Roto Grinders party of some sort, and we were at this like rooftop bar in Nashville. And there was this guy there. It was when I had the the man bun and the beard. And there was a guy there who also had a man bun and a beard. And um, so everybody started calling him like JM number two. And we were joking around with him and, and he like literally couldn't, he thought that we were all messing with him, telling him what we all were there for and what we all did for money. Um, he just thought that, that none of this was true because it is sort of a weird thing that we all do. Um, looks like, Keegan, looks like we lost you on the internet. So that is some problems that we've been having. I know you ordered that ethernet probably um, not there yet because you got the Mac with the USB-C connection. So uh, with that, I will actually go ahead then and open up a uh, a roster on my end. Oh, Keegan, you're back. There we go. Yeah. So um, quick thing, even with the ethernet right now, my internet is acting up. I have two separate... Um, wi-fi's i guess you could say uh so i switched to the other one hopefully it will last me this show i think i need to call somebody out here though and yeah it's that's i mean that's one of those like nothing you can do things right like i've got i don't know how many shows i have each week but it's pretty critical for me to have internet that's up and running and mine mine is um you know pooped out on me back to back weeks uh yeah. right right before right during my show with pete so it, uh, yeah suck. it is it is what it is <laughs> um so somebody asked, I think, two weeks ago maybe, um, what what uh, like app I use for prop bets. Um, I use, I think, three to four separate apps just because like there's different lines on each app, and uh, I try to find the best optimal line. Um, but mainly, I use like Prize Picks, and then sometimes Sleeper Picks, just because they uh, have such an enticing multiplier on some of their picks, um, like for a touchdown. If you know. Uh, somebody's probably going to get a touchdown or like more likely to uh it's like times two for just one pick and that's pretty nice payout if you hit it um and then with uh price picks price picks is nice because of the correlation that you can do so like a lot of these apps don't allow um you to correlate the quarterback with the receivers for like the the passing yards and receiving yards but price picks is actually they, they let you do that so it's a pretty nice yeah yeah like the um volume to me volume is what is the most predictive thing like it requires the fewest things to go right and underdog no longer lets you have quarterback passing attempts and wide receiver targets because those are so directly correlated um so yeah and that that actually brings up and i and i don't do the editing for these videos but they might be able to throw up um, a link at the bottom of this screen if not you can go to one week season and go to the promo codes um tab in the in fact let me uh, at, at least open this up and, and share it with you guys. Uh, the If you come here and go to promo codes, uh, you'll have our promo codes for underdog, for prize picks, for drafters, for sleeper, for thrive. And the uh, what Keegan said is super sharp, right? And, I, and I've talked before, if you're not on OWS, if you just watch this show, there's so many people, like I know multiple millionaires who will like go out of their way to get the hundred dollar deposit bonuses on these sites. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, I'm only playing on this site right now. Cause I got this hundred dollar deposit bonuses. And it's that mindset of like every little bit of free money, every little edge you should be trying to scoop up. So one of the things we always encourage is don't just have an underdog account or a prize picks account because you've already used your deposit bonus 
on that account. So also sign up for these other sites because every time that you get this $100, $200 deposit bonus, whatever it is, that's free money that you're able to take advantage of and that's able to multiply your bankroll. Uh, and then like Keegan said, there's different payout structures or different bonuses. There are different um, lines on different, on different uh, sites, different apps. So maximize the number of apps that you're using. It's the sharpest way to go. You're going to make a lot more money by doing that. So yeah, good call there. Also, um, uh, piggybacking off of off of that, you know, Keegan said that somebody asked that in the comments. Uh, if you have questions, drop them in the in the comments. Things you want us to talk about on future shows, drop them in the comments. Also, obviously, as as you always hear on YouTube, uh, drop a like on this video because that helps with the algorithm. So, uh, but yeah, drop comments if you have questions or or have anything you want us to talk about. Uh, with that, Keegan, do you have any any kind of opening thoughts on this week's slate before we start building a, a lineup? Yeah, so I have a question about this slate. There, I feel like there's a lot of game scenarios that I think a lot of people are going to jump on. Are there any that aren't obvious, that are almost invisible, that you've noticed? Because I everything that I've seen, I'm like, man – this looks great on paper, but is there something? Cause like I th there might've been a week. Um, I don't remember which week, but I remember like watching the uh, red zone, watching red zone and seeing one of the teams that I wasn't even like thinking about. And we talked about this last week about how you look at like every single game and you're like, well, can this game blow up? Can this game blow up? You know? And um, are there any games this week that are like almost invisible? that might have a chance of doing something. That's an awesome question. So I don't know that there are necessarily games that are invisible that could blow up. I think what's more interesting is the perceptions around some of these games are probably going to be skewed off what they really are. And so I would think that most people will look at Seattle and Cincinnati and yeah. be like, man, this is a dope game. And yet both teams are implied to score under 24 points. So the way I framed it in my DFS interpretations, which aren't actually on the site yet, but I've written up that one. The way I framed it is this is like, we can't just look and say, oh, well, the median outcome is actually a lot lower than the field is going to think. So th that's the starting point, right? The field is just going to look at this game and be like, oh, this game could shoot out. And yet Vegas is telling us that the median outcome in this game is that it's not shooting out. And yet it can shoot out and it can shoot out to a had to have it level. So we can't just be like, oh, well, you know, 50% or more of the time it's going to finish with this sort of disappointing output. So we'll just fade it and, and let everybody else chase it because people could chase it. And then in a small sample size of this week, it could, it could go in, in that direction. So that's something we have to be aware of is it's not like people are wrong on that spot. They're just overconfident on that spot. Same thing with Minnesota and Chicago. When you lose, yeah, see, and, and, yeah. and, and I think that's like people are going to gravitate toward it, but when you lose one of the best players, maybe the best player uh, in the NFL or maybe the best skill position player in the NFL, it, it dramatically changes your ability to do great on offense. On top of that, Minnesota, one of the top rushing offenses in the NFL by yards before contact per attempt, adjusted line yards, DVOA. And so would it be a total shock? We know that they, they're one of the highest pass rate over expectation teams, but would it be a total shock if they're like, eh, let's run the ball a little bit more this week. So things like that are interesting. Also the Minnesota defense, they're really not the, the narrative is they're awful. They're actually more middle of the pack and have been middle of the pack um, since kind of early in the season. 
And Justin Fields, you know, back-to-back smash weeks, but against two of like the bottom three pass defenses by DVOA, Minnesota's kind of middle of the pack. So that's a game similar to the other one where, where the high end is as high as people are going to think, but people are going to be overconfident in it. So that does open opportunities. Like I said, it's not like we have these games where you say, oh man, like everybody thinks this game's going to go off and it's probably not. Like everybody thinks it's going to go off and it still very much could. So it doesn't just mean we can fade that and go in a different direction, but it does open the door for kind of looking for other spots. So in terms of games that could blow up, we know that shootouts tend to develop from explosive players hitting quickly. So one of the greatest examples we've had in recent memory was, I believe the final score was 42 to 38 between the Ravens and Dolphins last year. And it was week two, the over-under on the game was like 42 points. So super low over-under, nobody was paying attention to that game. Uh, Most of the players in that game were like one to 2% owned. And OWS members had a huge week that week because we always talk about shootouts developed from explosive players hitting for explosive plays. And there were a bunch of people on OWS who were like, oh, well, Miami has a bunch of explosive players. Baltimore has explosive players. This game could shoot out. And they just, instead of taking one-off pieces from that game, they built around that game with three, four, five pieces from that game. It ends up being this monster game and the only monster game on the slate and you make a bunch of money. So uh, I don't see a lot of other games, you know, like Detroit has a really good offense, but they're not an explosive offense. Arizona or, or uh, the Rams and actually Arizona Rams obviously have a really good offense. Arizona has a, a better than people realize offense, but not necessarily explosive offenses. And, um, and then, yeah, so I think that the game that's probably most interesting, most likely to go, overlooked is this Washington Atlanta game. Uh, you can't run against against Washington as well as you can pass against them. They're bottom of the league and pass defense DVOA. Uh, three of their five games so far have combined for 60 or more points. Four of their five games, they've given up 30 or more points to their opponent. At the same time, Atlanta tends to create lower scoring game environments. So you have kind of this tug in both directions of um, you know, Atlanta's going to try to pull this game down while Washington's going to give opportunities for this game to fire upward. So uh, it would kind of take Washington really shutting down the run, similar to what Houston was able to do last week. And then that would lead to Atlanta saying, okay, fine, we'll, we'll throw the ball. We'll put it in Desmond Ritter's hands. Uh, Desmond Ritter at home, which I don't know if you've seen this stat, but he's going back to college. He's 31-0 and 0 at home, <laughs> has never lost at home in college or the pros, and has been significantly worse on the road. So uh, Ritter at home against Washington. That, I mean, that stat might be noise, but it is a very interesting stat. And uh, so, yeah, that's an, that's a game that could exceed expectations, but it's not like it could be a, a 42 to 38 game. So, yeah, I'm not really seeing a game like that this week, but that's actually, I mean, a tremendous question because our thoughts should always go in that direction of what could be the outlier uh, type of game. Right. And so I got, I got two separate things here. One's maybe like more of just a thought and the other's a question. So like, like you said, with the, the reason I asked that question in the first place was because I think some certain games stood out to me so much. And, and I'm like, man, I immediately look at this slate and I'm like, this game, this game, and this game, I got to obviously start to build a lineup for these games. And I mean, nothing's wrong with that. But then I start thinking, I'm like, man, what other games are there? And everybody else is going to be having the exact same thoughts as me. Like when you first like look at the, the slate. And then secondly, um, earlier you had mentioned about uh, Minnesota maybe running the ball a little bit more. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, Kirk's line, so I'm 
really into prop bets right now, but uh, <laughs> Kirk's passing yards line is like 240, and his usual is around 280 to 300 for this entire season. Um, Vegas is super sharp, obviously. Like they are, it's their job to figure out, you know, where they're going to be at the line. Do you think it's ever a good idea to look at some of these lines on these um, apps and maybe carry that over to DFS maybe? And Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely value in that. And, you know, we can talk about props being an inefficient market, right? And we, we opened our uh, props insider package this year. We opened it for MLB and tennis and golf. Um, so we have, you know, last year we made over $9,000 just in NBA alone. This year we've made almost $10,000 and NBA hasn't tipped off yet. So you could look at that and be like, oh, well, but but there's edge there, right? At the same time, that's that's at 100 bucks a bet. That's plus, we're at like plus 98 units. And that's like a 2% to 3% ROI, which means there's thousands of bets and we're up like 100 bets on it. So one way to look at this, you can, I, I used to hear this argument of like, well, props are inefficient. You can beat props. And so you really shouldn't use props uh, for your decision-making, but at the same time, like, yeah, props are beatable, but like across a massive sample size, if you put in thousands of bets and you're going to be like 100 over, you know, the total number of bets that you put in or whatever, whatever the case is. So, uh, yeah, props, you know, Vegas isn't going to be perfect on props, but they're going to generally be sharp on props. And even the DraftKings pricing algorithm is really sharp. So part of that obviously comes into play with, with, what recent ownership has been like a guy like Kenneth Walker, who's actually top 20 DraftKings points three times in his entire career. Uh, all three times he's done it. He's gone to 30 plus, but he's only top 20 DraftKings points three times. He's 6,700. He's overpriced, but people always roster him. So the out, the DraftKings pricing algorithm also kind of keeps his price higher because of that. But generally speaking, like, yeah, there are things we can look at and say, like wherever the props are, that should be a signal to us, wherever the like, like, Vegas is saying it should be difficult for you to decide whether or not Kirk Cousins goes over 240 passing yards. So that doesn't prevent him from going for 300 plus, but it just means that chances of it are a lot lower than in other spots on the season. And so, um, yeah, I definitely like looking at props and I use that and, and every once in a while I'll use it to say like, I'll use it to say, okay, well, they're wrong on this particular guy, right? Like, uh, and then if I feel that way, then I go kind of heavy on that. Like I had a bunch of Tank Dell over three and a half catches last week. He ended up getting concussed. And so uh, that was one that broke a bunch of my parlays. But uh, that was one where I was like, oh, he's going to get more than three and a half catches if we played out this, this game over and over again. And so I'll just take this as a bad line and then bet that. But yeah, that's a very sharp way to kind of gather in some extra information. I think that the one, the one thing I would say on top of that is that everything in our decision making should be about pulling in just like a ton of data points. So it's not about like, okay, here's one data point and this now makes this decision for me. But that is a, a useful data point to pull in and kind of put into the bucket alongside whatever else you're looking up. And, and then also, you know, we got to keep in mind that that is the median outcome. So we're not targeting median outcomes on our rosters. We're targeting outlier outcomes. So Kirk Cousins could throw for 360 and four touchdowns, you know, and maybe that happens once out of every 50 games in this spot. And, and that line of 240 is still right, right? Maybe half the time he finishes below 240. Um, but, you know, when he goes to the upside, he can go way to the upside. So you still got to keep that in mind. But 
Yeah, definitely. That's definitely a data point that is useful because if you're like just really high on a player, you're like, I don't see how this guy can fail. And then you see that their, their prop line is very different than that. Then it can be like, oh, maybe this guy can fail a little bit more than I was thinking. So, yeah, I love that. When we're talking about outliers as well, what about when there's, okay, so Tyreek, right? He's got his line is usually 90 to 100 receiving yards each week. What about when they put it at like, 110 105 i've never seen that but i'm just saying like do you look at that and then you're like okay this is a crazy line obviously i may or may not bet this on props but maybe i should go like relook at this game and see why they're putting it that high i've had that before not not so much at that high end because at that high end you know let's say tyreek is typically 95 then he's up to like 105 Mm -hmm. um that that's still like percentage wise, that's not that big of an increase. You know um, it would be more if a guy is like typically 42 yards and all of a sudden he's at 65 yards uh, or one of the best examples of this was, it was all the way back in 2015, but the back then you never played opposing offenses at Seattle and it was the Texans were playing at Seattle. Maybe it was 2016. The Texans were 2017 boy. Uh, Texans were playing at Seattle and um, and the, the over-under was really high. And I said for my NFL edge right up that week, I said, I'm not sure why the over-under is so high, but let's dig into the research and see if we can figure it out. And then I went through like all the research and I still couldn't figure out why the over-under was so high. And then I basically said, okay, like none of the research is telling me why, but we want to account for this and like be aware of this in our, in our approaches to the week. Uh, Cubs fan, who owns a chunk of OWS and is one of the sharpest DFS players in the world. Uh, Cubs fan basically took that game and said, I don't also said like, I don't know why the over-under is so high. And it was actually creeping up throughout the week. It opened at like 48 and then crept up to like 51. And, but he said, okay, well, because this over-under is so high and because most people will say, well, I don't know why it is. So I won't, I won't play. I don't play pieces at Seattle. Uh, so he just stacked like 50 rosters around that game and ended up winning the Millie maker that week. Right. So yeah, there yeah. is that opportunity to say, I don't know why this is set up this way, but I can take this data point and use it to my advantage and recognize same as you said, like the games that are going to stand out to us when we first look at the slate, those are typically going to be the same games that are standing out to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Similarly, the spots where you're like, I don't see why this guy's line is where it is most people are going to look at it that way and won't play that player. Or I don't see why this game total is where it is. Most people will look at it that way and and not play those players. So that gives us an opportunity to just say, well, let me leverage this data point. Maybe it, maybe it won't work out this week, but that tells us that it's plus expected value plus EV that if we could play out that slate a hundred times, leaning on that data point where everybody else is ignoring it, we're, we're going to be positioned to make money off of those things. So, yeah, I mean, I like, I, I love stuff like this where it's like, where can we find little edges? And this builds off of what we talked about last week on, on the show where, you know, we, you were talking process and I was saying, you know, pull in like extra information, to kind of find these extra things you can balance into your thoughts. So these are all extra things that you can balance into your thoughts that can help you outmaneuver the field a, a little bit better. Awesome. Thank you for the insight. I really appreciate that. And I'm going to try and use that towards my DFS. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, all right. So do you want to open up your DraftKings? Yeah, yeah. Your... Sure, that's great. Can... Let's do that. Well, we can build a roster. And, and while you get that set up, that also, like, j- just another note on that is that 
we also want to remember that DFS is not about just picking players, right? It's also still about how we put our rosters together and, and what stories we're telling and how we really take advantage of the opportunities that are available to us so that we can kind of maximize the money that we make when things go our way. So the picking players, we can get so hung up on that, that it, it can get in the way of us building sharp rosters, but people who just use projections and game theory tend to make more money than the people who focus on players. So what we want to do is take our superior knowledge of players and then marry that to better rosters. So with that, uh, let's dive in and, and build a roster. So, um, it's an interesting week, you know, because like you said, there are games that stand out to you when you open the slate. And I felt the same way. And even going through the wide receiver pool, right? I mean, Tyreek Hill's not in a great matchup. Does that, does that matter? Probably not, right? Because Carolina hasn't seen the speed of this offense on the field yet. Carolina is going to give up points. Um, but Tyreek Hill's not in a great matchup, but he can hit for a big game. Uh, Cooper Cup, you know, is typically going to score between 26 and 40 points most of his games and he's back in you know he's healthy he's in this role um jamar chase obviously his value goes down a little bit of t higgins is back this week but uh jamar chase still could see 12 to 15 targets if t higgins is there and then obviously if t t higgins is out jamar chase is a really nice play uh Devontae adams is, uh, you know, not in the best matchup against the Patriots, but the Patriots dealing with a lot of injuries. Devontae Adams is still capable of putting up 40 pointers. Pukunakua probably can't get to 40, but he can get to 30. A.J. Brown, not in a good spot against the Jets, but he can blow up and go for 35 to 40 points. Amon Ross St. Brown, not in a great spot against the Bucks, but we know that he can blow up for 30, 30 35 plus points. Uh, Jalen Waddell, same thing. Like, And you go down the list, there are a lot of pass catchers. And then you even get down to like the 6K range, Calvin Ridley, uh, went for 27 last time he played Indy. He could do that again or go for more than that. Uh, DJ Moore, you know, put up 30 and 50 in his last two games. So he's capable of that. So there's just like a lot of places on this slate where it's like, oh, there's some ceiling here. And then you kind of scroll down a little more and you're like, oh, there's some ceiling here. There's some ceiling here. So if you kind of start the way that the typical sharp DFS players do, where you start from like game totals and game environments, you can kind of look at this slate and be like, ah, oh, it's a little bit ugly. But if you, if you start from the player side, which is where I'd say that most casual DFS players start from, but I also lean more toward, like, I tend to open up the app and I go game by game, but through the players, you know? So I tend to have that blend of like, yes, game environments, but also players. And I don't look at over-unders till later in the week. And if you look at that, if you look at the slate that way, it is like, there are some spots where you're like, oh, this is attractive. And this is attractive. And this is attractive. So I like this slate because um, there's a nice mix of like, the game totals tell us it's not a great slate and yet there are some spots that could end up being really nice this week. So um, yeah, with that kind of thoughts from you and then where do you want to start this, this build? Yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure, I mean, originally I was going to like have two options, but I really think today I want to talk about um, the Jets Eagles game. Interesting. What we can do with that. Uh, okay. My first thought is, like as a bring back having, I don't know if we can afford all this just because uh, the Eagles pieces are so expensive, but having Garrett Wilson just on there as a bring back, I feel would be pretty valuable solely because I mean, obviously he's still probably going to be decently owned, but at the same time, I think not as many people are going to be on him because of his game last week against the, the Broncos. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, if you flip through his game logs, he's from last year. He he's never posted 
of a useful game with Zach Wilson under center. So that in itself is enough to make most people be like, ah, I probably don't want to go here. Um, at the same time, we know that Zach Wilson has looked better. We also know that it's Eagles are number one run defense DVOA. They still have Fletcher Cox in the middle. They added Jordan Davis last year. They added Jalen Carter this year is on track to be defensive rookie of the year. Uh, so yeah, I mean, th this is not an easy run game matchup. And so that, and then you, you expect, especially if you're building around the, Eagles passing attack or the Eagles side of this game, you're expecting the Eagles to put up points, force the Jets to throw the ball. So I actually think that that's really sharp. And I think that the most people have enough respect for the Jets defense that I don't think you'll compete with much ownership on this type of setup. What's interesting about it is that we can look at it and say, we can look at the research, which is what most people do, and just say, oh, yeah, like this isn't the best spot for Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith or wh whoever it is to hit. And yet, if we played out this slate 100 times, wouldn't there be some times where the Philly offense does really well in this spot? So, uh, yeah, I think it's actually a really sharp tournament angle where instead of just starting this roster and saying, what are the sharpest on-paper plays – we start a roster and we say, what's something that could hit and and the people won't be on. And I'm also assuming that you're not just going straight game theory here, but you're also like, oh no, I kind of like this spot, which is the best way to build it is when you're when you're like, oh, I actually like this spot and people aren't on it. And you're aware that it's not as good of a spot as some of the others, but it's a better spot than most people are going to realize. And so uh, yeah, it's an interesting setup. So on the on the Eagles side, how would you want to um, attack this roster? So you know, I'm I'm more of a casual player, so this is uh, a question for you, Dallas uh, Goddard. So the yes or last week, I'm pretty sure the the coach said that they were going to start using him uh, more, and obviously uh, last week they did. Are they going to continue that, or was that just a one game fluke? Yeah. So the actual the actual not the quote, but the actual um, what Nick Sirianni actually said was he'd been asked kind of week in and week out about Dallas Goddard. And what he was saying last week was the offense flows through AJ Brown, Devonte Smith and Dallas Goddard. And he was saying like, that's the way it was last year. It's no different this year. The, that's just not the way that the basically, you know, what a lot of these teams will say is the ball goes to who the defense tells you the ball should go to. And so you drop the play for Dallas Goddard, but he's covered and, and AJ Brown's the number two read on that play. So and he's open. So you go to him uh, or AJ Brown is the number one read and he's open on that play. So you go to him. So basically that it goes back to what we brought up over and over again about Dave Canales in, in, in Tampa saying, you don't design plays for Kate Otten. You design plays for yeah. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So take this Eagles offense. They're designing plays for AJ Brown, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard. So Dallas Goddard hitting is not a fluke. Dallas Goddard hitting is a situation of them designing plays for him. It was more, the fluke was more that he hadn't hit to this point in the season. Um, so does that mean that he hits again this next? And then they asked, they asked Sirianni about it again this week. And he basically was like, listen guys, like nothing changed. Like Goddard's <laughs> part of our game plan. Uh, the offense flows through him. It just hadn't happened yet. So from that standpoint, um, you know, I will say this probably means nothing, but on the, on, I listened to this week's new heights, podcast and um jason kelsey was talking about how the the one thing the eagles still need to do is clean up their issues in the red zone and uh travis kelsey said just throw it to dallas goddard 
So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that, maybe that's what they go with solve their problems there, but no, uh, I, you know, it can feel point chasey and that's almost a good thing because we're at a point in the evolution of DFS where if somebody, if it feels super point chasey, people don't actually do it. Right. What, what ends up happening is throughout the week, everyone's like, well, the field is going to play Dallas Goddard because he had a big game last week. And then it's like, nobody actually does that because he had a big game last week. So they're like, I don't want to just chase those points. Uh, realistically, like I would say like this, his chances of hitting this week are the same as his chances of hitting last week. But also in week four, those were the same chances of him hitting. Um, so yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, you know, another, those sub 10 point games were sort of outliers for him, which it was, each of the first four games were sub 10 points. Those were outliers for him. He's typically going to be in like the nine to 13 point range, but he had a 27 pointer last year. And what was it this last week? It was uh, a 28 pointer this last week. So like he's capable of those as well. So yeah. um, Goddard's a sharp, a sharp play in that regard. Yeah. And um, we talked about it maybe like two weeks ago, how the the tight end position this uh, season has just been kind of dry and every week, you know, there will maybe be, that one tight end that will get you that 25, 30 point game. And that could definitely win you the tournament. Yeah. And anytime where you can pair it with your quarterback, that helps. And then we have a spot where probably have sauce Gardner on AJ Brown, which doesn't mean AJ Brown can't catch some passes, but his chance of, of being like the engine of the offense are lower and uh, you know, just a good all around pass defense. So it makes it harder for Devonte Smith to hit. So yeah, Dallas Goddard is an interesting way to set up this pairing. And again, I don't like I don't think we'll see a lot of Jalen Hurts, Dallas Goddard rosters. And maybe Garrett Wilson, just because he's so cheap and so good, maybe he's on like 10 to 12 percent of rosters, but he's not going to be like a 20, 25 percent owned guy. So you throw him onto this roster and it, it tells a very comprehensive story that makes a lot of sense and will have really low combinatorial ownership. And then on top of that, it's it's possible that this combines for 90 points. You know, Hertz can go for 32, Goddard can go for 28, Garrett Wilson can go for 30. And that's not the likeliest outcome for these guys. But if we end up with something like that, you have a low owned block that's not just like putting up a decent score, it's putting up a big score. And that, that can really separate you from the field. Uh, and then on top of all of that, you know, if Goddard has a big game, he's separating from most of the other rosters who roster other tight ends because most, most tight ends will disappoint. And they're getting you this score, like huge salary multipliers because Garrett Wilson's cheap and Dallas Goddard's cheap. So it's a, it's a really nice setup. It's not one that I've gotten to on my practice builds yet this week, but yeah, I like it. I like what it does. And again, recognizing, yes, it's not the likeliest thing to happen here, but it can happen. And if it does, like you're in pretty good shape here. Awesome. And just to get a better sense of our salary, I think we should probably go towards the defense. Um, at glance, the first defense that caught my eye, like cheap-wise, was the um, Patriots. But uh, if there's any other ones lower than that. Yeah, the the optimizer was spitting out the Browns this week, which um, is, I think, great for us because the Browns are taking on this unstoppable force in the 49ers offense. And like, can the Browns put up six points? Probably, but like their chances of putting up 14 or something are, are really low. So that to me makes me want to jump to like, where is the defense that can put up 14 points? So yeah, New England is interesting. New England, um, you know, they lost Matthew Judon, who's kind of the, 
the heart and soul of their defense, their best pass rusher. They lost Christian Gonzalez, who was the, the early favorite for defensive rookie of the year uh, at cornerback. And so they're not the same defense, but also these points they've been giving up. It's been more about Mac Jones than about the Patriots defense, right? It's all these like short fields or defensive touchdowns. So yeah, I think that the, the Patriots are a defense that could go overlooked against the Raiders or like Patriots offense taking on a Raiders defense that is not the same class as Dallas and new Orleans. So the chances of Mac Jones completely imploding are lower. I actually think Mac Jones is at least a little bit interesting this week in tournaments. Um, the chances of him totally imploding are obviously lower and therefore the chances of the Patriots defense being able to play their game are higher. So yeah, Patriots defense is, is one that I've looked at. Um, Detroit defense for 100 more against Baker Mayfield are, are that's an interesting one. Uh, not a lot of defenses that like really stand out on this slate. So yeah, I like the idea of going with the Patriots and seeing what we have for salary, recognizing this is a practice build. We're kind of working through our thoughts and there's always other places we can go at defense, but in terms of, cheap defenses that are viable. That's one that, that we could definitely go to. Yeah. And I actually forgot one of my practice builds I built, I think on like Tuesday, um, I actually grabbed the 49ers. Nice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a great one. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. It seems like Deshaun Watson's not going to play. Even if he plays, I don't know that that, that makes a huge difference. Um, yeah. You know what else with the Patriots? We always, we not always, but we prefer, we prefer home defenses because it is so much harder for an we we talk all the time about how the little like the margins for error in the NFL are so small the little things make such a big difference and if you're playing on the road and you're going silent count those tackles instead of you're going silent count because the center can't hear you you know like so the tackles definitely can't hear you and so the tackles instead of being able to hear the snap and react immediately they're having to watch the ball and so that gives like an extra you know tenth of a second that that defensive end has an edge on that tackle. So those things make a difference when you're playing. That's why defenses are, tend to do better at home versus on the road. Um, at the same time, these Las Vegas games have often been kind of road games for the Raiders because they don't have a huge fan base in Las Vegas yet. Then you have a lot of you know teams that travel well, um, Steelers, Packers, Patriots, Bills, like these teams with big fan bases – uh, Cowboys nationwide, right? People will go to Las Vegas for a weekend to go catch this game. So um, yeah, I don't think that it's a, it's a bad, I don't know that Vegas will necessarily have to go silent count, right? That there's been a few instances of that um, this season where teams at home, you know, the, the Rams at home or Raiders at home have had to go silent count, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely like more of a road game for Las Vegas than a typical home game for, for most teams. Sweet. With that, let's do it. Let's uh, pull the trigger. Boom. Yeah, we've got Jimmy G playing too. We know he's going to make a couple throws that a couple hero throws that he has no right trying to make. So. <laughs> uh, interception here and there. Yeah, a little interception here and there. Um, all right, so we got some good amount of salary still left over. Obviously, running back is going to eat up some of that salary. So it might be interesting to see like what value we could find at wide receiver. Have there been any kind of cheaper pieces that you're interested in? Or we could kind of go with like a more mid-range uh, like a more mid-priced roster across the board because there is Amari DiMarcato with um, with Arizona who should be stepping into the lead role at 4,900 this week. We could go kind of 4,900 running back and some 5K wide receivers. But um, but yeah, are there any cheaper guys that stand out to you this week? Um, I like Cam Akers, but I also 
who like who I've kind of been on a lot was Swift, but he's not really necessarily cheap. Um, he's in that six K range. And yeah, and doesn't necessarily fit with with this. Yeah. Well, I guess he could fit with this build. You know, one of the things I I dug up last week was that um, that basically like that that Swift and Devontae Smith and Swift and AJ Brown were capable of hitting together because it's just like the team is scoring a bunch of points. So um, he actually could fit on this, on this roster. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, let's go, let's go ahead and select our running backs and then we can kind of see what we want to do at wide receiver. Cause we don't have to be restrictive as long as we're not going up to Christian McCaffrey, like kind of all the running backs are in similar price ranges and not to say that any of these guys can't hit, but uh, Christian McCaffrey, obviously, in a really tough spot against the Browns at his price tag. David Montgomery, a, a yardage and touchdown back, who's now in a, a tougher matchup than he had last week against Carolina, which is the, the worst run defense in football. Uh, Bijan Robinson, again, still typically getting around 19 to 20 touches and can hit for a big game, but like, can he go for 35 or 40? Probably not. So, yeah, I mean, we're kind of in this like, you get down to like the 7K and below price range at running back pretty quickly. Um, kind of make some of your decisions for you. So yeah, uh, DeAndre Swift fits and then and then we kind of go away from this game elsewhere on our roster and, and decide where we want to go at this next running back spot. Um, what's the situation with Miles Sanders? Does it look like he's going to be playing or do we not know yet? You know, so the situation with Miles Sanders, they haven't said that his snaps and touches have been scaled back because of the groin injury. And then what was it? It was something else this last week. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like I feel like Chuba Hubbard having more touches than Miles Sanders is, is more due to um, these injuries than to like the ineffectiveness of Miles Sanders to date. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, you're looking at a team that is two touchdown underdogs. It's going to be hard for Miles Sanders to put up a tournament winning game. And like, even when we're saving salary, especially in a position like running back where it's like the difference between Miles Sanders and and like some of these guys in the 6k range in terms of ceiling it's it's pretty dramatic so um, I want to try to avoid guys who are like I'm saving salary and I'm like hey they can get me 15 to 20 points when you know I'm passing up somebody who might be able to get me 30 so I would prefer Amari DiMarcato for 4900 over Miles Sanders um, or prefer kind of going up to another one of these 6k running backs yeah I'm totally cool with Amari um I think this like seems to be a negative part of my DFS play is I get caught up in the lower, lower range. I do notice this always happens to me. I get confused on like where to go, even in receivers. I mean, receivers, not so much, but a lot of like running backs, uh, especially this season, uh, I've noticed that once it gets like towards the cheap end, I really kind of just scramble for, anybody <laughs> well it's Try a very it. interesting there's a very interesting like marriage of obstacles when it comes to running back in that running back is the most projectable position so when you take the off the board pieces you're far less likely to hit than taking the clear and obvious pieces at the same time uh, Mike Johnson and I were talking about Mike Johnson, one of the con contributors on OWS. He and I were talking about this a couple of days ago about over the last couple of years. Oh no, no, it wasn't Mike. It was, um, it was stat ATL, one of our new contributors. Uh, he and I were talking about how, how many more 30 point scores come from wide receivers than running backs. 
which is a function of the way that the NFL has adjusted their approach to the running back position. And there's a whole, there was a whole like pricing swing that we went through where you never saw running backs priced above 8K. Then Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson came along and they were getting Christian McCaffrey Panthers workloads, right? They were getting 10 plus targets every game plus the carries. And so their price tags kept going up and up and up. And finally we got these like 8,500, 9K running backs. And we had to adjust our thinking to paying that for running back. Well, then those guys got onto second contracts. The injuries were piling up. And all of a sudden teams started being like, okay, we're not doing the workhorse, do it all running backs anymore. We're doing split backfields. And almost every team, their lead back plays only about 65% of the snaps. And yet DraftKings has continued to price running backs at that range where we used to never see running backs priced. And so what we end up with is people are like, oh yeah, you know, Bijan Robinson for 7,500 or whatever. And, you know, how many times is he going to crack 30 points? Not that many times. Um, and so there's this thing where like the pricing is still the way it used to be at running back and the roles at running back aren't the way it used to be. So if you actually go through the numbers, it's shocking how few 30 pointers come from running backs compared to wide receivers. So then there's this case to be made of like, well, you just pay down at running back and get the high priced wide receivers. But like we just said, running backs also super projectable. So like, you don't want to just take the guy who's not getting points when everybody else is getting points. So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting setup at running back where to me, anytime you can save salary on a guy with a role, then that's useful to do. It's one of the reasons I like Amari this week, because he's going to be on the field. He's going to should be stepping into the James Conner role. Um, and, and he's 4,900, right? So then I don't worry about like, if he gets me 12 to 14 points, well, I'm freeing up salary for the more valuable wide receiver position. And then if he gets me 20, 25 points, he's probably matching a lot of the 6K guys because there aren't that many 30 pointers that come from the running back position. So that's like a lot of, like I said, you know, DFS is rarely dots on a line. It's more like, here's all the pieces and we have to look at all of them. So that's kind of like a big picture, all the pieces at the running back position. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's how I look at running back. And I, and I think so. Yeah. Like who are the sharpest plays this week? It's, it's Travis Etienne, it's Bijan Robinson, it's Alvin Kamara, it's, Kenneth Walker, it's Kyron Williams, it's Raheem Mostert, um, it's DeAndre Swift, right? It's all those guys in the 6K range who you know what the workload is going to be. You know they have touchdown opportunities. Um, the guys in that group who miss will probably score like 14 to 16 points. The guys in that group who hit will probably score like 25 points. Um, you won't have many, if any, had to have it scores. Um, but yeah, so I kind of like just saying, well, if you go down to Amari and he gets you 14 or 15, you're still matching the, the bad guys from that range. If he hits for 25, you're matching the, the top scores from that range and you free up the salary for the more valuable wide receiver position. Awesome. Appreciate the insight on that. Uh, yeah. And so another way to frame that is just to say like, it is dangerous to just like try to find value at running back, you know, because if you get four points at running back and it's a bankable position where, most of the high owned guys, somebody's 30% owned, somebody else is 15% owned, somebody else is 20% owned. And all those guys are scoring 15 to 25 and you get five points of that position. You're really behind the whole field. Um, so you can't just like give up points at running back unless it's a really thin week with a bunch of high priced wide receivers who can hit. But um, you also got to be cognizant of not overspending at, at running back. Right. So would it be the sharper play to take a cheaper receiver who has maybe a lower floor, but definitely a higher ceiling rather than um, choosing a cheaper back. 
And yeah, and that's 60. the other thing that, like, we've seen this year, right? Like, uh, Thielen hit for 34 points under 4K. Tank Dell hit for 28 points under 4K. We've had some other guys go for around 20 points um, under okay. 4K. So, yeah, if you can get the the cheap guy who can get you the, – the cheap guy who's just mispriced, right, who can get you – that was one of the things we kept saying about Wondell Robinson last week was, like, he was mispriced very clearly, but he also – had a pretty low chance of getting you 20 points. Um, so it's not just the guy who's mispriced, but the guy who's mispriced and can get you 20 plus, then that can kind of free you up to, because you're not, it's harder to find the 4,500 running back who can get you 20 plus than it is to find like the 3,500 wide receiver who can get you 20 plus. So um, yeah, that typically is the way to go in terms of freeing up your your salary to make everything work. Okay. And I think with all that being said, we should still go with Amari DiMarcado, but maybe if we are tight on salary, we can pivot off of him and go with a cheaper receiver. Yeah. Yeah. And among cheap receivers, like there's obviously there's the guys who can hit on like two or three targets, but we're still at a point in the season where there are guys who probably should be priced higher. So John Mechie is going to be filling in this week for, or we would expect he'll fill in most of the snaps for Tank Dell um, not a great matchup, but he's 3,100 and, and could see six or seven targets. Uh, Trenton Irwin, if uh, you know, saw 10 targets last week. If T. Higgins misses again, he's very viable. Jonathan Mingo, uh, go ahead and, and open up Jonathan Mingo. He's 3,500. Open up his game log and look at those targets uh, for him on the season. I think he's a guy who's just going totally overlooked, and a lot of these are downfield targets. So you know, consistently seeing five, six, seven, eight targets. Um, he's a guy who will eventually hit for a big game. Jameson Williams, he's played nine career games so far, and he has, I think it's three catches. So um, eventually that's that play is going to come together, but um, you know, he's not like sharp on paper, but he can hit. Uh, Rashid Shaheed is another guy we could open up and just see like the targets aren't there at a high level, but the production is almost always there where going back to last year, it's all these like six, eight, 10, 20. Like then again, like another seven, five, eight, 19, right? Like he's going to kind of score like that. Um, Curtis Samuel is like hugely involved in this offense, seven targets, eight targets, four, three, five. Um, and not the best matchup, but again, same, same type of situation where he's on the field. He's going to see targets, Josh Downs with Gardner Minshew under center. We could see the Colts, Jonathan Taylor's there. Zach Moss is playing great. Like they could just run the ball a bunch, but also, they're more willing to throw it 40 times with Gardner Minshew. He threw it 44 pa passes last time he started. So uh, Josh Downs is interesting. So yeah, there's a lot of these cheap guys who can go for 20 points and we're not just like firing total darts at bad plays and, and just hoping that something happens. So um, yeah, it definitely opens up a lot this week. Yeah. Maybe we could even go with a, a cheap back and a cheaper receiver yeah. and see if we can get a more elite expensive receiver yeah that freezes up to maybe target a pair of 30 point scores um in our other two remaining spots uh so yeah is there any of those cheap wide receivers that stand out to you or you want me to you want me to kind of pick one of them uh man you were throwing those at me so fast i was just trying to type the names <laughs> uh, um, let's, go, let's go ahead and take a shot on like jonathan bingo because um, oh cool <laughs> it's, a, it's a game environment that people are going to be on and we don't seem to be on track here for a Dolphins piece, but then this basically allows us to say, 
we're still betting on the Dolphins putting up points because then we're betting on the Panthers throwing in response and, and Mingo having an opportunity an opportunity to put up points on his end. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. The the Dolphins defense does scare me a little bit though. I think they're um sneaky in the fact that they're better than uh some people think. Well, yeah, and Bryce Young is has played pretty poorly as well. So then, like um, but at the same time, like if you're up if you're up, you know, by three touchdowns, eventually you're kind of softening up the defense and they're going to, they're going to be able to hit some stuff underneath and just pile up some, some yards. But uh, yeah. yeah. And then it's interesting, right? Cause if we go to like Jamar chase, who's the guy everybody's wanting to go to um, that constricts our salary, although we might have, or I think we'll be 100 off from being able to go Jamar chase, Jordan Addison, which would be like a super popular pairing this week but we don't have to worry about that because uh so yeah we're, we're 100 off we can always massage um 100 in salary you know at that last cheap wide receiver spot or something um we don't have to worry about what's popular because we started with this like we said this block of the eagles and jets that's not going to be popular and can put up a bunch of points so um yeah i actually kind of like uh, you know obviously we're kind of assuming with this that t higgins is out but if T Higgins is out, this is actually a really nice setup. Um, I would actually prefer keeping the Patriots because when you get to those cheap defenses, the drop-off can be pretty stark. Um, and just going with a different cheap wide out uh, is the way that I would want to do it. And I would be happy going down to, to uh, I guess, actually in this, in this instance, we're saying that T Higgins is out. So we could play, um, we could play Trenton Irwin and Jamar Chase together. Uh, you know, last week, Trenton Irwin, obviously Jamar Chase had like a career game, but Trenton Irwin had 14 points. He had 10 targets. He had eight catches. Uh, Jamar Chase had over 50 points. Like they combined for like 65 plus points. So they're capable at, you know, 11K in combined salary of combining for 45 points. Uh, that wouldn't be particularly surprising. So um, we could go there or go with John Mechie. But yeah, this gives us a, a nice setup because we grabbed two of the sharpest wide receiver pieces jordan addison with justin jefferson out jamar chase uh assuming that t higgins is out getting all the targets again um with with the spillover going to trenton irwin and then we have this this bet on this jets and eagles game that is different from what the field will have and kind of separates us in that regard so uh yeah i like it any final thoughts on on this roster um yeah i mean i i, I do like that we have four pieces in that game. Um, and I think that we're saying that it's going to be a very like high scoring game. Hopefully not even necessarily that, but we're saying these pieces, Garrett Wilson gets a touchdown, maybe 80 yards. That would be great. hundred yard bonus would also be great. Um, Swift, then they'd be up. Swift would run. Garrett Wilson would have to get more points. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, if this ends up being like, um, like you said, we don't even need the Jets to do really well on offense. We need like a 31 to 14 point game would be fine. If the Eagles score four touchdowns and and Goddard and Swift account for two or three of those and Hertz is part of three or four of those, like we're in tremendous shape and and the Jets could score only two touchdowns or even only one touchdown, but Garrett Wilson gets a hundred yard bonus and gets that touchdown. Then all of a sudden we're in great shape. Uh, and on a week where there's not, one game environment that really stands out or one game environment that is like head and shoulders above the others. And like we said, like Seattle, Cincinnati will stand out to people 
Minnesota, Chicago will stand out to people and they are the best bets on the slate, but they're not as good of bets as everyone is going to assume, right? So if just both of those games finish more like 24 to 20 and then the Eagles score four touchdowns, we're probably way ahead of the field already. So um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting setup. If I were building one roster on the weekend, this is obviously not like where my mind would go, but in terms of thinking through how we win a tournament, this is a, a really sharp build. And it's one of those where it's like, uh, if I were hand building a hundred rosters, you know, I would want like five to eight rosters that are kind of built like this, where you're just like, oh, this is a totally different game than other people are on, but it can hit uh, and positions us for, for how do we win the most money when we are right? You know, instead of just like, how do we get the most things right? How do we win the most money when we are right? This is one of those where if we are right on this, we, we win a lot of money because most people just won't be on it. Um, so yeah, sharp, sharp starting point, uh, sharp roster. And I think allowed us to also kind of talk through some of the unique angles on this week six slate. So uh, with that, I'll close this out. Um, Keegan, thanks for hanging out. Listeners, viewers, thanks for hanging out. Uh, we will see you. We record our Saturday show on Fridays. So uh, that, that goes up Friday night or Saturday morning. So we will see you back here again with that. We will see you on one week season throughout the weekend. And we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.